Enoa. 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 Music, well, my music is like a lover, I would say. On the one hand, needs to be protected to make time for it, to make space for it, but also need to be given freedom. <laughs> and sometimes it's very frustrating. And is the closest thing to the things that happen in the everyday and shows also that reflection of things as they change. I am Sivan Eldar. I was born in 1985 in Israel, and I'm a composer. Hello, Sivan Eldar. Hello, Saskia Deville. What are your influences? I would say my influences come a lot from the stage, from theater. Um, from opera too, from working with uh, people who do things that are quite different for me. Um, I love working with, uh, with text, with writers. I love working with uh, performers of different styles. I love working with dancers too. I like working with people who have a different way of expressing themselves, if it's through the body, through words, through sound, of course. I would say this is a big influence for me, has always been. When I compose, I don't think, how am I going to make an impact on the rest of the world? Um, I think the first thing that's important for an artist, but also for an artistic director, I would think, is to be genuine about what they're interested in. I think it's very difficult to, to fake that. Tell us something about your musical background. My musical background is quite classical, I would say. I started uh, with piano when I was five, back in uh, Tel Aviv, and then also with singing. I was one of those kids who loved singing everywhere. Um, I was in musicals and I loved performing. What I wanted to be was a concert pianist. And at the age of, I think it was 13, I was uh, going to audition for the High School for the Arts in Israel. We have a few, and the main one in the center of Israel is in, uh, it's called Telmelin, and I had my audition all set and all my repertoire. And a week before, I broke my elbow very seriously in a game in the Scouts. And I had a cast for two months, and I couldn't audition. And I was really, really heartbroken by that. And that, in a way, changed my course a little bit musically because um, I was still very involved in music. I did uh, the conservatory in Tel Aviv, you know, also the ear training, solfege and so forth with my teacher. But I had this real desire to, to do something more seriously with music. And when I couldn't go to that school, I applied to another program. Um, it's called the United World College. Anyway, it's an interesting program for uh, international schools, which are all about 
making, creating world peace and being very politically involved. And the school that I was chosen to go to in the U.S. had a very strong music program. And by chance, the teacher who came just two years before I got there had a PhD in composition from Boston University. He was the one who was teaching music. And even though it was not required by the program, um, he introduced us to a lot of contemporary music, I remember. Um, he introduced us to Ligeti, to the etudes, and because of that, I ended up playing one of them. was really inside this world and so he encouraged us to compose and that's when I when I really started I would say at the age of 15 and it came through the piano and um, then I continued with my bachelor's in composition in Boston and then my master's and PhD in composition new media and so I would say my background has gradually evolved from being a concert pianist slash just a child who loves singing to opening my mind into, into other directions as they relate to composition and collaborations with other artists. How did you find your voice in writing? Um, first of all, I think it's a question, have I found my voice? I think uh, if I had felt like I had found it, I probably would stop writing. Uh, it's, it's a search, always. Um, so I'm always asking myself, you know, which, which direction am I going? What does, what does it mean? But I think one of the ways was um, becoming more confident as, just as a person, as an artist, and uh, learning to trust the directions that felt like they were the most interesting to me, and learning to take risks musically in terms of who I was working with and the projects and the topics I was interested in, and also not being so afraid of connecting things that may not seem connected in my music. So if it is... Um, Topics about relationships or about nowadays, you know, dealing a lot with ecology that I find interesting that maybe normally you wouldn't think of in connection with, uh, with music, a creation. Yeah. Then how would you describe your style? <laughs> It's a very hard question. Um, there are certain things that I'm drawn to. Um, like when I listen to different types of music, and I like different things, but it's true that I tend to be... I, I often notice these moments where I feel that I wish it had lasted much longer. It can be a very, very dense piece, and a lot of things are happening, and very often I feel it's happening too fast for me. I don't know if this is describing musical style, but it's true that very often I, I feel like, can we just, can we hold on for a moment? Can we focus in a little bit more? And can we just spend more time in this space? And I think my music has a little bit of that element where I find uh, these, uh, these sounds and textures that, that I'm very interested in for whatever reason. And I just say, okay, let's take a moment to just be here um, and then see where that takes me next. And uh, often that's usually how I compose as well. I'm not so much a person who creates very clear structures and plans. And so usually it's about finding those pillars of um, musical moments for me. And they can be the very beginning and the very end of a piece. Or they can be the middle of a piece. Or they can be unknown yet to me where they would happen.
but from there, it's a kind of stretching of time and then seeing, okay, where does this musical period lead me to? And how does it then evolve? And where does it go next? Uh, so I do think in this, uh, in this kind of narrative, narrative way that doesn't develop linearly necessarily in the compositional process. What is exciting about composing for voices? Well, for me, the main thing about the working with voices is the text and the personality. Um, the personality is the fact that, of course, this also applies to instrumentalists. Absolutely, they have very, very strong personalities, and in a way, the, the instrument is an extension of the body and of their voice. This is clear. But the human voice, even more so, there's no way to hide behind it, I feel like. Uh, it's the facial expressions, it's, uh, of course, it's the timbre, the color. It says a lot about the tension of the body and how the person is moving. Um, and I think it has a very strong emotional impact when you see a voice uh, that's really free. But for me, the most interesting, the most moving always is uh, a voice that feels that it has the freedom uh, to be expressive. And uh, it's, it's just, I mean, it's also just a physical freedom. You see that there's not so much tension and the person can, can feel and can move. And then uh, the other thing, yes, is the text. Of course, not every vocal piece needs to have a text. And in the piece that I did with Amira Leon, the recently for voice and orchestra, there are parts where she's not saying any text, but still there are periods where there is a narrative uh, sense to it, and I really enjoy working with, with text, if it's more poetic or if it's narrative. I don't feel like I can give any text to any singer. The text that a singer is, is speaking or singing has to connect also to who they are. And so I think that's something I really like the voice about the voice, that it's, it's personal, it's expressive, and... Uh, and it changes a lot from one person to the next. What led you to opera creation? I definitely did not have the dream when I started with my studies of writing an opera, even though I come from a family that's, that's actually very involved as opera lovers, you know, in opera, and I grew up listening to opera. But it was never a desire of mine, and I think that's also part of the way music education, uh, composition education was, at least in the U.S., where opera was definitely not something that most composers were thinking of. So anyway, so for me, opera was definitely not on my radar for a long time until I had more of a desire to work on stage creations. Uh, 
and um, not coming at all from, from the direction of opera. It actually for me came when I was living in Prague for a year. I had a grant to go there. And um, by chance I got to meet uh, a dancer and choreographer, Mirzhenka Chekhova is her name. And uh, with her, I got very, very exposed to physical theater there. And I started to go to more of the shows and I met the musicians she was working with, collaborating with. And I just felt really excited about being a part of that world, um, about doing things there again were greater than just me sitting in the, at the desk and writing, um, and having the multiple perspectives come together in a creation. My first kind of movement towards that was uh, through the Festival d'Aix-en-Provence with the Opera Reflection Workshop, where I went to kind of just touch the waters and see. Uh, what this world is like, and uh, and to find uh, a writer that might be interesting for for me and for that person to work together. Now, I worked with Cordelia Lynn for quite a few years, but it was never the case that I came to her and said, I want to write an opera. Will you be the writer that I can write it with? Absolutely not. I read her, her work, and I was very drawn to it, and I thought the contrast was very interesting with my music. And I said, let's just try and see what happens. So we started with a small piece, and we did a slightly bigger piece and another. And so gradually we're building up to see if even this idea of an opera is, is realistic for both of us. Because, of course, for her, the learning curve was enormous. Um, learning what it means for her to write a libretto as a playwright. And of course, for me, the learning curve is, is continuing. And <laughs> now that I have her libretto and asking myself, how am I going to approach this text and this whole world of, of opera writing today? work frequently with, you told us, dancers, performers, writers. What are you trying to accomplish through these collaborations? It is through collaborations that I can grow as an artist and 
also explore new ideas. It's through this contact with a person who thinks very differently and has a very different perspective of the world that I can be encouraged to take risks that I wouldn't necessarily take and, of course, just uh, be introduced to, to new things. But for me, it's not even so much about that. It's more how can my world be pushed outside of its comfort zone? Um, and through that, I think we can discover new things. And uh, it's a big uh, process of risk-taking because you don't know where you're going to end up. And for sure, this is something that I'm feeling with the opera, but with any project that really involves... Um, the risk of collaborating with someone that you've never worked with before and who comes from a very different background. You just don't know where you're going to end up. And I think that's very interesting. You're developing your first opera right now, like Flesh. What do you want to achieve through opera in terms of communication with the audience? Well, I want people to be moved, but I think that's quite can be quite empty when people say I want people to be moved. Maybe to me what it means is uh, to have a moment of slowing down a little bit and of entering a space, um, a space of uh, feeling, of reflection, and a space of... Uh, maybe just sensitivity to what's happening around them. In my opera, specifically in Like Flesh, we're working a lot on different forms of sound diffusion and also sound that can be very close and very far, um, expanding the space so that we can also have sounds that are coming from underneath. Uh, we're working with themes uh, related to ecology and to growth. I use often the analogy of roots that are almost growing under the feet or the space that's slightly shifting. So maybe it's a kind of reevaluation of, uh, of the amount of, of experiences that we can have within the, uh, the opera space and also asking the question of what kind of new things can we feel, what kind of new things can we experience. To me, this is, this is really interesting, and I don't mean that in terms of the novelty of something new, like let's explore a new technology. Um, it's more how can we use these tools to, to expand an experience into something that maybe we haven't experienced before, And that will make us shift our perspective just slightly. In the story of, of this opera, of Life Flesh, it deals with actually very concretely this idea of um, as a person is transforming and as the people around them are unable to really understand that transformation, how do they behave? Do they try to hold on or to even take a piece of that person or do they let go? In an ideal world, I would love people in the opera to not think too much about the details of the story, about the meaning of the story, and more to experience it first. And then afterwards, they're supposed to have a moment of reflection about what this could mean for them personally, and also in relation to our environment. The truth is that life continues, and of course, the non-human world, or life beyond the human world, uh, continues. And uh, there are a lot of things, I think, that we don't quite understand. And so I think a lot of it is just about opening up possibilities, kind of understanding that there is a lot of things that we don't understand. Um, if I look at this libretto, which I just got a few weeks ago, it's not a closed story where there's really a, an answer or a moral to it at all. It's quite tragic because it asks the question of, can these multiple worlds exist? You know, Can we live with all this violence around us and still continue 
when people come to the opera, they'll see what Cordelia's answer is to that. But it's not always very optimistic. But if we can at least ask that question and, and experience that, I think that would be a great achievement. Thank you, Sivan Eldar. Thank you, Saskia Deville. A podcast by Enoa, developed with the support of the Creative Europe Programme of the European Union.